Good morning, church. Good morning. How are you doing? Okay, I'm well too, because Jesus is Lord. Amen. Um, the next 30 or so minutes, we'll be reminding ourselves about the work at the cross of Jesus and build our reliance on the grace of God. Our salvation depends on the grace of God. It's by grace that we are saved and believe for his favor in our lives. We want also to reduce the vulnerability that the new teachings are coming and bombarding the Christian church and weakening its relationships its relationship with its maker. And we will do this from the lives of two women, the pastor, it's women again to teach us, <laughs> that God used to speak of things to come. And we will also create our own three other women so there will be a total of five women in this sermon who will be teaching us by looking at their work and telling us about the work today. If somebody wants to remember this uh, lesson or teaching and wants to title it, you can call it, Who is Your Mother? In other words, Who is Your Mama? As we discuss them. Let's start with the, with the reading, Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Tell me, you who wish to be under the law, have you been listening to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the slave woman's son was born according to the flesh while the free woman's son was born through promise. These things are an allegory. Well, these women are two covenants. Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. We shall come back to that to say why present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. The Jerusalem that will come down, which is now above, is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desert are more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, brethren, you are like Isaac, children of promise. At that time, the son born of flesh persecuted the son born of power of the spirit. It is the same now. What does the scripture say? 
cast out the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son shall not be a near with the free woman's son. So, brethren, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Mm. What a text. God will help us. Now, in this passage, Paul walks us through the real life story of Hagar and Sarah and expounds the significance of their life and the events that were surrounding the time they were living and as their husband, Abraham, was walking with God. So, all this time, Abraham his wife, and the concubine were just writing a story for our sake. How important must we be? And I want to stop here and think about our lives. Now, we are Christians, perhaps born again, filled with the Spirit of God, but we are also in common life. Every day, we are doing things that people do. We're going to work. We're going to school. We're going to pay for water. We pay for electricity. We do things that people do. We are on the roads. We are driving, or we are being driven, or we are in a man, or whatever we are in. We are there with the people. Our lives are normal lives. I remember in high school, <clears throat> when we were introduced to the concept of vector, those who hate math will probably hate me too. <laughs> and we were told to observe a fly and then to draw the path of a fly as it goes from one point to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. Because we were told a fly usually comes back to where it started. So we drew those paths like a network, looking like a network, and then we pointed at the destination where it ends. In the same way, you can draw the paths of a human being, any human being like yourself and like me that in one day we do so many things. In fact, one author wrote a book that is called One Day in, a, in America. You know, what happens every day. We are busy during the day. We're moving from one point to the other. Then go this, then do this. Go to the market, come back. Go to this, get this. Go get children from school and come back. And then even after we are back home, there is still more to do, even at the end of the day. If you don't believe me, ask a married woman or a single mother. All other people that are taking care of other people. There is a lot. But in all those paths and networks that we make, there are moments I want you to get this clearly. There are moments that are not just for you. There are moments during the day that you make 
that are circled with a different color than the other movements. Some of them you don't even know. There may be different colors, but let's talk about two. One is the number of things that you do that contribute to your eternity. Because you are very busy during the day. How many of those things contribute to your eternity? How many of those things are building the kingdom of God? Going to get a child from school is a regular duty. Is it? Does it qualify? I don't know. But there will be moments. Some of them are for you, for your eternity. Others are for building the kingdom of God. And yet others, the other category, is things where you have nothing to benefit from. You are writing a story for other people that will come after you. And so I want to encourage you. Because sometimes, sometimes you get, we get discouraged when we say we're doing so much. And we don't even understand where it's going. That our prayer should be, during my day, dear Lord, let there be times and moments that are either building my eternity, building the kingdom of God, or writing a story for other people. Sometimes those moments may be called Kairos moments because they are opportune times. They come at the fulfillment of time or at an opportunity, at an opportune time. Before we go much further, let's do a quick knowledge check of the facts in this passage. Now, this passage has a lot of things that it's saying. So let's quickly just go through the passage in a form of a quiz. Oh, sorry. Did you bring your papers and pens for a quiz? The only difference is that you will not add it in and it will not be marked. But come on, give us the quiz. Very quickly, we will go through this. I'll give you names. Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael. And I'll ask a question, and you will tell me. You don't need to write it down. You just tell me loudly. Is it A, B, or C, or D? Or is it E, which is both Sarah and Hagar? Or is it F, which is both Isaac and Ishmael? So, ready? Tell me, in that question one, I laughed when I had the age of tell Abraham I would get a child. A, B, C, D, E. Correct. I, question two. I started as a slave to Abraham. Are you behind media? Two. Now I want two. Okay. If it's not coming, I will, I will ask it. Where? Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. It says one, but it's two. So it's my mistake, not their mistake. I started as a slave to Abraham, then I bore him a son. Correct? I am the first son of Abraham. Quick, right? 
there is some little confusion. Correct answer is D. The first son of Abraham is Ishmael. I was caught by my stepmother mocking my stepbrother. My stepmother caught me mocking my stepbrother. So my name is C. I am Isaac. A 90-year-old woman conceived and gave birth to me. C. I lived, question six, I lived in Pharaoh's household at one time. The correct answer is E. It's both Sarah and Hagar. Sarah was taken into Egypt and Hagar was serving in Pharaoh's household and Sarah was taken in. Perhaps that's where they met. But they both served. They both were in them. I am the father of 12 sons who became 12 tribes. Wrong. D. Isaac did not have 12 sons. It's Ishmael who had <laughs> that look, Mama Mchugaji. <laughs> Go and read Genesis 25. And you know Isaac had only two or two sons, I think. Only two. Yes, and Ishmael was also given 12 tribes, the father of 12 tribes. He had 12 sons who became 12 tribes. Genesis 25, verse 12. I'm sorry that I interpreted the promise in the flesh. Correct, eh? I represent Mount Sinai, where the law was given. Correct, B. Many Christians still seek for me, thinking I'm part of their hope for eternal life, not realizing I was cast away. Yes, B. I am a symbol for Jerusalem. Correct. It's E, both A and B. Both represent different Jerusalems. One represents the Jerusalem then, and one represents the new Jerusalem. What I present will come down on earth dressed like a bride. Correct. Sarah represents the new Jerusalem. Thank you. Very good. We passed. Now we understand the passage. We don't even have to read it. I will not go back to it many times because we can remember all the parts of that passage now. Abraham's life is a prophetic allegory and he had many in his pattern of life he had many Kairos moments. He had many moments that he was either building eternity, building the kingdom of God, or writing a story for future generations. There are many parts of his life. When he met God, when he received the promise, that was one. There are many others, like even when he married Sarah, they don't have a child, all this is being written as history for us, when he goes into Hagar and gets a son, this is part of those moments for him. When he's casting out Ishmael, 
the slave woman, this, yeah, the, the woman and his son, he is representing the abolishment of the laws of Moses. And this is even long before the laws were themselves given. So he's living something that can call a substance of things to come. And those who know the Bible and love the Bible, are, their minds are probably racing to Hebrews chapter 11, where you hear about these people, and then Paul says, therefore faith is a substance of things to come. It's people who live in a manner that's writing a story that has not happened that will happen because they believe in it with so little information about it, but they believe it and live it such that they become part of God writing the future. And so our lives also need this. This reminds me, the other day, I joined um, an, an evangelistic pastor in an Uber ride. And I didn't know what I had signed in for. But as we were driving down Valley Road, which that's the moment you want to keep quiet and let the driver drive because it's fast and going down, this pastor started talking to the Uber driver. I think he noticed that Uber driver had written something that he is self-driven. For me, coming from the corporate world, self-driven is good, yeah? That's what we all aspire for. So if I would have read it, I would have told him, this is very nice for you. But the pastor asked him, why are you self-driven? Why are you driving yourself? Let me cut it short. But that by the time we were approaching All Saints Cathedral, the guy was saying the sinner's prayer. And then at the Nyayo's traffic, Nyayo house traffic lights, I was asked to pray for him because I was seated next to the driver. Thank God the lights were red. But we did pray. That, that pastor is Pastor Richard Kimani. <laughs> I should have known because I have lived with him a long time. I should know what I'm signing up for. We have prayed for watchmen. We have prayed for people who came. Our car broke down and people who come to help us. I'm fearing that they may be thugs. And in a few minutes, they are kneeling down saying the sinner's prayer. All sorts of things, you know. Somebody who is called to that. So you are living, you are doing what you do every day, but still you are in your ministry. So these women represent two covenants. Hagar is a shadow of the law in the Old Testament. And Sarah represents the hope we find in the salvation by grace. Sarah is a symbol of the heavenly place Jesus went to prepare because the right to that place will only be through Jesus who is in the lineage of Isaac. So in the Sarah's line. 
So, if you are not that, then New Jerusalem may not be for you. She was a free woman. Her son was free. So those who gain entry into the city she symbolizes are free and true sons of the house of our heavenly father. Somebody is starting to ask, how about the Gentiles then? Those that are neither born of any of those lines. But we can also join, be born into the family of Sarah. Sarah can become our mother through three simple steps. One, by confessing true faith in Christ. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Step two, repenting of your sin in Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You know, this morning, I tried what the pastor did and so asked my Uber driver, would you say God has been kind to you? Now, where I was going is, are you then showing contempt of his kindness if after all those years, you still cannot give your life to him? Unfortunately for me, he said, yes, and I'm born again. He said, ah, okay, another day I will try. That step, the baptism into Christ's death or becoming part of Christ. Romans 6 verse 3 to 7, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. For we have been, if we have been united with him in the death like his, he will certainly also be united with him in, the, in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So we have a way. If you want to be part of New Jerusalem, you have a way. You must believe in him you must confess your sin and then you must live like you are living as part of him. Then your mother can be Sarah. So let's go back to our passage verse that one. So brethren, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. <clears throat> we are not bowed by the covenant Moses brought down from Mount Sinai but I've been set free from the truth that Jesus brought down from heaven. There is an encounter that is found in John 3, verse 1 to 21. Jesus encountered this man called Nicodemus. And I want us to study Nicodemus a little. 
He had served well under the Sinaic law, kind of under the law. He had served very well. He had become a teacher. He had made it to a Pharisee. And even he had the rank of Sanhedrin. So he's done well. He comes to Jesus by night because he has seen a difference between how he addresses things and all the other Pharisees and other people, teachers of the law, and how Jesus is doing it. And he needs to understand what's the fundamental difference. He had started to perceive the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, in the flesh, he was probably, he had the DNA of Sarah probably. But because in his spirit he was serving under the Sinai law, then if you asked him who is your mother at that point, who should he correctly tell you? Hagar, because he's serving under the law. Jesus sees the desire in him to know the difference and said to him, you must be born again. So there is a need to move, to shift, to do a change. You must be born again into the family under the new covenant. And this man is probably like you and I would. You're getting confused. You don't blame him. By this time, Jesus has not gone to the cross. By this time, grace has salvation by grace has not been revealed. So Jesus is telling him difficult things. That's probably why we don't hear of him again until later that we read that Nicodemus was among the believers. But we are free from judgment of the law. We are children of grace through faith, grafted into God's family through Jesus' blood. Our mother is Sarah. Our city of birth is Calvary. And I'm not, I'm not giving you a new surname that if you are told mothers, what, what do they ask? What is the mother's um, maiden name? Don't say Sarah. What is your city of birth? Calvary. It's possible if you're talking of your spirit, that if they are talking of your flesh, then give the right one. Our hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. The law cannot save us. And I'm saying this because among the 2.4 billion Christians living on the earth today, there are three families of those Christians. And this is where we will bring three names of another three women. Family number one of Christians. Remember, I am now only looking at those who call themselves Christians. It's called the religious family. Now, these are not necessarily disobedient to God's commandments, but have selectively picked verses from the Bible to support a modified code of Christian living. 
that lets them live as they like, led by the desires of their flesh and the pride of life. They have rejected this great salvation. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that at the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man will be living for pressure. Many people will be living for pressure, just as the people did at the time of Noah. The mother of this family is called perversion. What they're doing is changing that Christianity called good to be bad and that Christianity called bad to be called good. So their mother is perversion, introduction of a new woman's name. They distort the true gospel to serve their selfish flesh, greed is their portion, greed and lust. They want their double life to be backed by the Bible. And religion attracts them, but not righteousness. They are nominal Christians, churchgoers. Christians in name only. They view religion primarily as a social construct. They are nominalists. And nominalists take a minimalist approach to faith. This is happening in Pentecostal churches too. I think we are discussing the other day that there are many children in Pentecostal churches that you assume because they have been brought up there, they can raise their hands, they can sing the choruses we sing, they have learned a few tongues words, can do some little tongues. They can kneel down, they can pray. We assume that they have received Christ as their personal savior. But what they have taken is a religious nature. They are called by the church, but they are not in. And God is reminding us that we have a job to do. Jesus, in his revelation given to John, calls the group lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. As I said, the mother of this family is called perversion. And unfortunately, this forms the largest group of Christians in the world. The second family is made up of very zealous Christians. They really want to recline at the table with Christ in his throne. They are the ones who say, where the Lord will be, I will be. They are very zealous. They want to observe every commandment and every precept that they think gets them closer to Christ. Christians, whenever you hear anything that you need to do to get you to Christ, you must raise a red flag. It should be a spiritual red flag. Because you are of grace and your hope is in Christ alone. So when your church starts or your fellowship or people you know at work 
Start to teach about things you need to do to get to God. I'm not saying refuse it. I'm saying raise a red flag. Check further. Unfortunately, without knowing and without confessing, they have fallen into the trap that Jesus found the Jews when he was on earth. The reality of the weakness of humanism. They had tried to keep the commandments and they were unable to keep the law. So what these groups are doing is they are grabbing a few precepts and hanging on them. They select the one thing they can do well. They click, they cling on that and they call that their salvation. That could be Sabbath day. It could be tithing and giving. It could be prophecy. It could be clothing. The way they clothe, it could be speaking in tongues, it could be fasting, it could be healing, it could be things that seem to be nice. I'm only saying, if you start clinging on them as the way to God, if you think by doing so, you are getting yourself closer to God. They have therefore become legalistic and see everything not doing what they do and in the manner they do it, as completely lost and needing salvation. Therefore, they have become cults because that's the definition of a cult. The mother of this family is called hypocrisy. The Bible talks about Pharisees, Sadducees, Zerots as examples, but today we have many others that are getting into that. Remember, the objective of this lesson is that we may be aware so that we are not vulnerable to teachings that divert from the salvation that God has given us. The third family is one that accepts Christ's sacrifices enough to take them to God and surrenders to his righteousness alone. They acknowledge the role of the law as creating awareness of our sinful nature and the need for a savior. They believe they are now released from the bondage of law and bowed to Christ. This is the family of the woman who is called Grace. So, at this juncture, I can ask, who is your mother? In summary, the family of the religious have a mother called perversion, they change. The family of the overzealous Christians who are sliding back into law, the mother is hypocrisy. The family that accepts Christ's sacrifices enough and surrenders to his righteousness alone, this is the family of grace. Knowing this is a Pentecostal church, I should probably say, tell your, ask your neighbor who the mother is, but I fear that this may cause a commotion. So just look at your neighbor. In a way, the body language is asking who is your mother, but don't ask. Now, Jesus 
then talks of a great separation that's coming. So of all these families, there is soon coming a time of separation. And this is the time that two will be walking on the road and one will be taken, one will be left. Two people will be coming from work, husband and wife. The one will be taken and the other one will be left. Worship leaders will be, re, will be leading church into worship. Some will be taken, some will be left. Elder board will be meeting, and some will be taken, some will be left, depending on who your mother was. Because this will be time for Jesus alone and his righteousness. Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And if you have not chosen that, then there is a coming a time when there will be a separation. And that's the time we are waiting for. So we are waiting for the trumpet and the shout of the archangel. Then Christ will appear. John in Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples of earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And some will mourn because it will be too late. Are you here and you are not sure that your mother is the New Jerusalem, representing the New Jerusalem? There is an opportunity that you can do so today. An opportunity to choose your mother. This is why Jesus was telling Nicodemus he has a chance. You too have a chance. And that's what uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 that time and chance come to all. It's the choices that make a difference. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never chosen really to trust on his blood and righteousness, and if you have tried it by coming to church, or you have tried it by going where the church is going, or you have tried it by keeping the commandments of God, then this is a chance to say now, I want to commit myself to Jesus alone and his righteousness. Only he will clothe you with his righteousness to be acceptable to God. I still do remember one time, I think I talked about it here in this church, that I went to court as the accused. Mm -hmm. Don't look at me as if I'm too, so bad. I mean, you too may have gone through these kinds of things. And I didn't know that somebody had arranged for a lawyer. So when I was called and I stood and I was asked, somebody stood, somebody that I don't know stood, held me from talking and said things to the magistrate that I don't even know what he said. And he called the next person 
because I didn't even hear what the judge said about me. The next time I was free. This is the kind of thing when you choose Jesus Christ. On the day that you will be called, he will stand for you. He will represent you. And you don't have to say anything. Don't even write a script of things you have done, the good things you have done. You won't need them if your choice is this. I'll give you a chance. If you're here and you learned that this to be your day, you can slowly walk in front and we'll pray with you. And in the meantime, the others, if you have believed, but you have noticed that you are sliding towards more of the law, towards your goodness, then you are backsliding. It's a new type of backsliding because the, the church is going in that direction. It's either perversion or hypocrisy. The church is diverting. The church, the, the group of church, the church as a one group is diverting so much. And you too, we will come for prayer. You can pray for yourself or you can see some people for prayer after this service. Who is your mother? Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much this morning that you are teaching us about grace, teaching about us about the law that was useful to show us of our sinful nature and the need for a savior. You're also teaching us that the law cannot take us to New Jerusalem, which is in our story represented by Sarah. We want to pray God as we continue to expose ourselves to teachings, different teachings that we will keep this one thing, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus, you are our only savior and it's in you we trust. It's you we trust for entry into New Jerusalem. Keep us, help us, pray for your favor on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.